which just points to the fact that we really need a wiki. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. This week, we take a moment to discuss some listener feedback, follow up on some stories, and look at some interesting history Texas tidbits. And look at some interesting Texas history tidbits we've seen over the past few months. It's time for another edition of Odds and Ends. But first, what is your favorite non-state flag, Texas flag? But first, what's your favorite historical Texas flag? And just to make it easy, let's take the beautiful modern Texas flag right off the table. Uh, Well, mine would be Demet's Goliad flag. Uh, This is a white field with a red arm holding a saber and blood flowing from that arm. Um, It was flown by the volunteers who seized Goliad, uh, the fort at Goliad, in December of 1835 at the start of the Texas Revolution. And I guess it symbolized that they would cut off their arms before they surrendered their liberty. The I bloody love flag arm flag. Yeah. Bloody yes, arm. The bloody arm flag. Um, looking at uh, the various Texas flags and thinking from a purely graphical point of view, um, I kind of like the, the Burnett flag, which is the uh, dark blue field with a single yellow star in the center. Um, it was the official uh, flag of the Republic from winter of 1836. And remained so until the current Lone Star flag was adopted in 1839. Now, after that, it was actually the official war flag until 1879. So, I guess the state of Texas had a war flag until 1879, which is interesting. It, it might still. Might just be a different one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some crazy Texas law in the books that we missed around that, too. Look, I'm going to say... Uh, yeah, I'm biased, but it's the come and take it flag. I mean, I think we can all agree that, that the flag that started it all for, for us and the, you know, unraveling this stuff, it's gotta be the come and take it flag, right? With the cannon and the come and take it, uh, (laughs) duh. But you know what else is a good flag? Like, uh, you know, that, uh, San Antonio Spurs flag that, uh, your friend might have hanging up in like his apartment (laughs) or something, you know, I, I figured you'd pick the Whataburger flag. You know, I mean, the whole place is a symbol. A symbol of freedom. <laughs> a, a symbol you can't of have justice. it your way there. You can have it your way. <laughs> First up today, we'd like to thank the readers out there who've taken time to write into us or leave reviews on iTunes for our show, because that really does help us uh, to find listeners just like you. And of course, we thank everyone who spreads the word. But first up, we do have a correction to make, and this is thanks to Jason Warner, who is from Austin, who had a correction on our episode on Bonham, episode 240. Jason wrote, I really enjoy your podcast. In the last one I heard, Bonham, I believe you mentioned Homer and Ted Blankenship, two major league baseball pitchers from that town, and that there didn't seem to be anything in the internet that had showed a family relationship. Upon a baseball-specific search, I found the website below that stated that they actually were brothers. And interestingly, they both pitched for the Chicago White Sox together for parts of 1922 and 1923. Ted ended up being the better pitcher of the two, having had a longer career in the MLB. And we'll post the link in the notes. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, 
like I said, I didn't personally find that information, but uh, then I didn't like a bonehead. I didn't think to do a baseball specific search. So yeah, I, I think that you did challenge, you did throw out that you were sure some baseball fan would find that information. So. Well, he does close up by saying, you know, thanks us for doing a terrific job telling the amazing stories of Texas history and thanks for doing it. But no, thank you for listening, Jason. Keep listening. Keep telling people about the show. All right, so uh, a gentleman named Scotty Fools wrote in a nice little email to us to, to, us to talk about uh, what he wanted to say. He said, I continue to enjoy your podcast. I would like to submit the following for your consideration in future episodes. The Great Hangings of Gainesville and the Battle or Massacre of the Nueces, Edmund Davis, the Battle of the Neches, and the Battle of Sabine Pass. Also, I would love to hear your opinions on the following movies on Caddy Watches. Places in the Heart, The Alamo 1960, The Alamo 2004, Houston, Legend of Texas, a 1986 movie free on YouTube has gone to Texas. Thanks, y'all, and keep up the great work. So we did respond. Uh, I responded to Scotty that we're working with Professor James Early to tell more stories and detail about Texas in the Civil War. Uh, and that includes the Gainesville hangings, uh, especially Edmund Davis. J- uh, James really wants to do an episode on Edmund Davis and some of the other fascinating stories we have just around the corner. And I reminded him we talked about the Battle of the Sabine Pass and Dick Dowling way back in episode 14 on Texas and the Civil War. And, of course, we also did an episode on John Wayne's The Alamo. So, And he responded he completely forgot we'd done the episode on The Alamo. Uh, so... So that's good, and he makes a really good point about that that Houston movie, which starred Sam Elliott as Sam Houston. And Sam, the only thing, the only time I've ever seen Houston with depicted with a mustache anywhere, uh, Sam that Sam Elliott movie. And I, I remember Michael Beck, who was in The Warriors, played Jim Bowie. So that was a great TV movie. I think we should we should hunt that down and watch it. Well, the good news about this is I, that uh, we're we're not going to run out of Texas themed merchandise films and or history stories probably to talk about in in the, in the short run and i'm not sure that i would uh call jim Bowie out to play i think i'd just let him do what he wanted to do <laughs> uh we also got some great comments from andrew morgan about our episode on claire chanel and the flying tigers which was episode 191 thanks andrew glad you liked the show we have also received some very nice reviews on iTunes from some listeners. Uh, TJK Texas wrote, Love the podcast, and I'm so glad that people want to learn the history of this great state. Please look into doing a podcast on Francis Lubbock. Thanks, guys, and keep up the good work. Uh, we think that's a great idea, and he's on the list. He, right? Yep. Yeah. He's on the list. Uh, Lubbock is one of the important figures in Texas history, and uh, the town of Lubbock, the city of Lubbock, is uh, a lovely place to visit. So uh, we will definitely talk about him in the future. He's an interesting fellow, but no spoilers. <laughs> you got to tune in. Yeah. Elvis Valley 1960 wrote, Great show, guys, and even though I am not from Texas, I do have plenty of relatives that are and still live there to this day. Regarding Sonny Ozuna and his music, you stated that his song Talk to Me is doo-wop, which it is not. Talk to Me is simply a rhythm and blues type of song maybe done in the style of Tex-Mex. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, doo-wop is, 
is R is an R and B style, but it focuses on vocal harmonies. And Sunny and the Sun Sunliners were a straight R and B vocal band. Uh, the original song was a cover of a Little Willie John uh, R and B song. Uh, Sonny and his band were Tejanos mostly, so I think I think uh, uh, Charlie, who's Charlie from California, was his name. Uh, he, uh, Elvis Valley. He makes a good point. Um, and actually, I think I sometimes conflate that late fifties, early sixties smooth R and B sound with doo wop. So, but there's there's not any vocal harmonies or nonsense words. So it's clearly not doo wop. But still, it's a great song. Um, yep. And, and this is yet another illustration of why we are a Texas podcast and not a music history podcast. yes we are not music experts yeah. but it's nice to hear someone who actually knew knows who sunny and the sunliners are and knows talk that song oh talk God. to me so such good, a great good song to hear. such a great song pause yep. the show folks go to spotify and just take two minutes for yourself yeah in addition we'd like to take some time this week to talk about some interesting little odds and ends that we found on the web that relate to some previous stories we've covered an update on the Aurora Alien story in Aurora, Texas, which we talked about in one of our Halloween episodes, which just points to the fact that we really need a wiki by one of our devoted fans to help us to keep track of all these things. It should be episode 112, our Halloween 2015, which is crazy to think that we'll be doing Halloween 2018 this year. This was an article from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, March 30th, 2018. Reward offered for return of stolen UFO alien grave marker in Texas. A Dallas lawyer is offering $1,000 for the return of a grave marker stolen from a cemetery in the small town of Aurora, where, according to local legends, the remains of an alien killed in a UFO crash was buried. Uh, the story goes on to say, basically, that there's a civil defense attorney who he does not necessarily believe the reported crash, but he is a big fan about this whole thing, and he thought, you know what, let's... Put some money out there and see what happens. Quote, it's a legend that persists after 120 years. It's pretty remarkable. I'm skeptical, but would love to find some evidence that something has happened we could not explain. So this is coming up right before the 121st anniversary of the reported crash. And uh, it's, uh, you know, kind of interesting. So there's a, we'll post a link to it. There's a whole lot of backstory on what happened here around the alien investigation. But that said, if you have an alien cemetery marker that maybe you came by like a cousin gave it to you to hang on to or something and it's kind of suspicious uh who couldn't use a thousand dollars yeah well this is actually the second marker that's been stolen the first one was stolen a number of years ago the uh the uh the the tombstone in 1972 mm -hmm. then they put a boulder in uh that a stone boulder that again also was stolen in several years ago. So I mean, 2012. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's sad. <laughs> it is but, sad. Well, we talked about too in a previous episode that uh, similar shenanigans happened with uh, Oswald's uh, yes, headstone and that it just turned up. It was randomly found in the basement of a house or like under the, under the floorboards of a house somewhere in Fort Worth, just randomly. Yeah, so in case you don't remember this story, or you haven't listened to that episode in a long time, but basically in 1897, there was a crash of some kind uh, in this town that's north of north of Fort Worth, uh, and this is many years before the Wright brothers flew. So, you know, there, there was some kind of crash, and it was claimed that they found some cylindrical metal object with uh, some type of being person, small person inside, and they buried that person in the ground. 
uh, in the cemetery. So who knows if it's real or not, but it's quite fishy. Mm. Quite, quite fishy. Well, there you go. The legend lives. Yep. Uh, so the next story we got is an update on our friend Peggy Hall, the reporter from the El Paso newspapers who went to war uh, in Mexico with the American expedition uh, under Pershing and then went to the First World War and the Second World War, had globetrotting adventures as a journalist, one of the great women journalists in history. Uh, this was in episode 196. Uh, so I'm going to read this story. Why a wristwatch? Girl Corps. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to read this story. It's from newspapers.com. So newspapers.com has a great deal of great information, great uh, uh, archive newspapers with fascinating stories. Uh, this is from the El Paso Herald, August 9th, 1916. Why is a wristwatch? Girl correspondent says ankle is too far distant. Miss Peggy Hull, who has covered police for a Honolulu paper and who blew into El Paso Monday in search of local color and a few bandits for a half dozen Eastern newspaper, has been through a real battle. The battle occurred in the editorial offices at the Cleveland Plain Dealer when she announced her intention of joining the wristwatch brigade at present stationed on the Rio Grande. They predicted all sorts of dreadful things, said Miss Hall. Bandits shooting at me through car windows and harrowing kidnapping raids were only a few of the dire things that were foretold to me. But I won my point, and here I am. But I don't intend to involve my country in international complications by doing anything rash. I don't want General Funston to have to send me home. Of course, I want to do Juarez, but I won't cross over unless I'm accompanied by someone who knows the ropes. What is the psychological effect of a wristwatch on a correspondent, asked the interviewer, noticing she wore the traditional insignia of the profession. Why the element of time is so essential in our work that a difference of a few minutes might mean a beat, replied Miss Hull. That explains the watch, but why the wrist? Well, if one wore it on the ankle, one would strain his eyesight, looking, looking at the time. And I simply detest a watch pinned on the waist, pockets that Pockets are detroped these days, you know. Miss Hull believes in suffrage, but is not a suffragette. Flowers and pink ribbons and things still have their appeal, she says. So a great story about Peggy Hull and her wristwatch and just shows their character. Uh, that she is going to come into town and, and, and just jump into the thick of being a journalist. So when your grandparents give you a hard time about the news cycle, you can just say... <laughs> I'm sorry we don't have these hard-hitting editorials about why women are being so forthright and wearing a wristwatch. <laughs> and in another follow-up from previous episodes, uh, notably when we talked about Bessie Coleman, Catherine Stinson, Claire Chanel, and Dr. Red Duke, the Lone Star Flight Museum is reopening. As um, a part of that Lone Star Flight Museum is the Texas Aviation Hall of Fame, which includes mention of those people that we discussed. And, of course, the Lone Star Flight Museum, uh, which is located in Galveston, contains the Texas Aviation Hall of Fame. Uh, the museum was devastated by Hurricane Ike in 2008, and it is nice to hear that uh, they've managed to relocate their uh, collection to Ellington Field, just north in Houston, uh, or just 
between Galveston and Houston up there uh, along I-45. Hopefully, it will gain a little distance from the uh, terrors of the Gulf of Mexico if another storm were to come through. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it was actually supposed to open on September 2nd, but as we all know, uh, the, the heavens opened up over Houston that first weekend of September for Hurricane Harvey. So uh, they had to kind of delay the, the delay things. The, ser- the complex wasn't damaged, but uh, basically all their support infrastructure really was kind of uh, kind of uh, halted because of recovering from Harvey. So it's a great museum. I went there on the day of Scott's wedding in the morning uh, when he got married several years ago in Galveston. So, I have lots of fond memories of that because that was a great day all day long. Another thing we thought would be fun to take a quick look at this week is use our newspapers.com window and time machine. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you open the internet? You Google yourself, right? (laughs) So we uh, punched in some familiar names and uh, found some interesting stories. Well, well, the first name that came up for me was from the Austin Daily Statesman on Monday, June 3rd, 1901, and it was an advertisement. For Peruna, the world's tonic, enthusiastically praised by a hero of 13 wars, General H or General H.R.D. McIver. I didn't know we had a general in our family, but apparently this general was uh, so General McIver has seen active service as a field officer under 14 different flags. He was a soldier of fortune. Uh, who served in the uh, the 14 different countries, the French, Serbians, the British, the Greeks, the Mexicans, the Italians, the Confederates, Brazilians, Cretans, Egyptians, tons of people. So uh, he was a soldier of fortune, basically. Traveled around the world, and he was recommending this nerve tonic. But he wasn't a Texan, so I'm going to discount that one. But I do have another endorsement that I found, and this one was also in the Austin American Statesman. And this was in 1883, and it said, Dear Sir, this is to certify that I have used the Colorado sheep dip tobacco, and if I ever have to dip again, will not take any other dip if I can get the Colorado, as I am satisfied it is the best and most effectual remedy for a scab I have ever used in this country. Yours respectfully, R. McIver. So to whoever R. McIver was in 1883, I don't know what a Colorado sheep is or what scab is, but I guess if I needed to take care of scab, I would use Colorado sheep dip tobacco. Sheep dip. (laughs) Delicious. I don't know if he dipped it in his mouth or if he dipped his sheep in the tobacco. Either way, I'm very intrigued. So I'll have to do some more research on this. So when you search for Elfstrom and go back in time a bit, um, there is a story from, what is this? Galveston Daily News, 1879. From the Galveston Daily News in 1879, February 6th of 1879. And it is um, an Elfstrom that was attacked by a soldier, a Swedish soldier. Uh, what it says here, uh, assault with intent to murder is the headline. It says Fred Fredrickson, a Swedish sailor, was charged by the state with assaulting H. Elfstrom with a loaded pistol with intent to murder him, and two balls had been discharged. 
Uh, the pistol was found on an accused person in this condition, and all other evidence corroborated that of Elfstrom, who swore that the assault was committed in the county of Galveston in a grocery store kept by Mr. Williams on Strand between 16th and 17th Streets in this city. The recorder, sitting as a justice of the peace on suggestion of state's attorney, bound the accused over in $200 to appear before the criminal district court at its March term. Interesting. Well, there you go. So I have no idea who this uh, H. Elfstrom was, but uh, maybe it's a good thing he didn't get murdered. Well, and Scott, let me just say, in researching this, there are a lot of Elfstroms in the Galveston newspapers for the last 150 years. Uh, it was apparently well, that's, a fairly that's common where, name. Uh, you had a big family in the area. It's where my dad's side of the family was from, so uh, or my, my grandfather's side of the family. So, I will have yeah. to research further. Yeah, it also should be noted that well, there's there was a lot of obituaries and a lot of wedding announcements. So you know, but just because you had a huge family, I mean, a big big common name. But also should be noted, we did find an article that featured Scott himself. So, uh, but we thought yeah. we'd go back in history a little bit. Finally, Sean came across a story about my grandfather, Ed Zolkowski of Poe, Texas, uh, and it's uh, it's from the sports section of the Del Rio Herald, May third, nineteen sixty four. And uh, it says, it could be the San Felipe Country Club golf court, or it could just be some prospective major leaguers around Del Rio. But Ed Zolkowski of Poth, a scout for the Houston Colt 45's baseball organization, made a trip down this past week with E.J. Kosarek, who is also a Poth. They came down to visit A.W. Toman, 315 Pine, here in Del Rio. Toman said the group went out to the Amistad Dom site. Toman said the group went out to the Amistad Dam site but made a fast trip and got in 27 holes of golf in the afternoon. Zolkowski really likes his golf, and he thinks the San Felipe course is one of the best he's played on. He's checking on baseball prospects and said he'll be back again this summer. So it goes on. It's just a cute little story about my grandpa. Uh, the funny thing and that I need to talk to him about is that uh, I knew his love of baseball. I know he played baseball and, uh, at a certain level, but... Uh, I did not realize that he had done any scouting. And uh, I'm going to do a little research, talk to the family about this stuff, and uh, dig up a little more on it. But, uh, you know, he's still with us. He's in his uh, upper 90s. But uh, we'll have to talk to him about those early days of baseball. That's neat. I I love these old these old around town. Because it's kind of like a kind of like an around town section of the sports paper. Like these are just some of the others are a little bit snippet about horse racing and another rodeos. But the other thing that's funny to me is like the local people, they list their address. <laughs> like if you read these articles in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, they'll, they'll, they'll list, you know, they'll talk, they'll say someone such and such of 1453, 453 Pine street or Smith street. Like, Okay, today if you if you were in the newspaper, you certainly wouldn't want your address listed. <laughs> well, you know, we we were talking about like this then in looking at these old newspapers as a wonderful source, but it's funny that so much of the material in these older papers is what we would just do on social media today. It's all congratulations and announcements and and it's really uh, a lot of local news is just a lot of local messages. 
So uh, in our um, episode 228, uh, we talked about the Fat Men's Clubs. Um, and doing a little searching, we came across a article about the Fat Men's Association. This is from the Gazette in Fort Worth, Texas, Tuesday, August 5th of 1891. And the headline on this little piece is the FATs, their first annual excursion and wash-up. How they propose to enjoy themselves and entertain their friends at Galveston on August 31st. Uh, the the lead-in here says the Fat Men's Association of Texas special will leave Dallas August 29th, 8.30 a.m. to hold their first annual convention at the Beach Hotel in Galveston, reaching there by 7 p.m. It's got their whole itinerary in here. Uh, says some 150 will enter the surf at once, causing a rise in the tide. Uh, the citizens will be notified in time to get their lines put up and pumps put to work. It's expected that 5,000 people will be on the pier to witness the plunge. A band of music will render selections from Meyer Beer or Anheuser. Interesting. I, I mean, I do love um, the idea yeah, of like so. just, <laughs> we're going to get a bunch of fat guys together and jump in the ocean yeah. and, and have a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it uh, goes through and it talks about, you know, mentioned some specific people that are going to be there and how they reserved a train car for their ride from uh, Fort Worth down to Galveston. So, yeah. And all yeah. their eating and drinking so, would be on the train. Man, we're going to yeah. spring Galveston for spring break and it's going to be off the chain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These fat men knew how to yeah. have fun. <laughs> Yeah. Rise in the tide. <laughs> a rising tide lifts all fat guys, apparently. Uh, oh, I, this, I love this newspaper also because on the left-hand side, there's also advertisements. Specialist, Dr. McCoy, rectal and genital, genital urinary specialist. Piles, yeah. fistulas, ethereal structures, gonorrhea oh, and syphilis. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Fort Worth was a hot town there. I mean, you got to hang out your shingle. You got to hang out your shingle and make some money these days. <laughs> Whew, I don't know if I can top that one. Um, I will throw out one last one. Yeah, we go way back to episode four when we talked yeah. about the early days of crazy Texas wrestling. And um, one of my favorite episodes and just one of my favorite stories because you just got to Google Bull Curry. I mean, this guy's, he's an, he's great. So um, this is from the Freeport Facts in Freeport, Texas, April 13th, 1953. Curry, Kalmakoff battle to draw. Return this week. A bloody awesome wrestling bout between Bull Curry and Ivan Kalmakoff was ruled a draw last Saturday night, and the object of their battle, their prized Brass Nux trophy, was held over for a return match this weekend. Both Curry and Kalmakoff were counted out by the referee when neither returned to the ring after carrying their fight into the ringside seats. At the outcome, Curry was bleeding profusely from a cut mouth, while Kalmakoff suffered from gashes on the head and face. The grapplers had deserted the ring in the third fall in search of ringside chairs to use as weapons. Curry took the opening fall in 139 after beating Kalmakoff into submission before the bell. Uh, and it goes on just about all the crazy 
wild bout, but they just, they carried it right out into the bleachers and they started picking up chairs and just bashing each other in the face. <laughs> Freeport uh, knows how to yeah. party. Ah, the days when wrestling was treated as a legitimate, legitimate spectacle, <laughs> at the very least. I mean, this sounds like actually a pretty well, exciting show. I think it's, I think yeah. it's still considered a spectacle. Right. Yeah, I mean, every, every, there's a, there's a degree of tongue in cheek. If you go back and read a, read wrestling articles throughout the history, uh, you know, this country even as far back as in the 30s, there's a degree of time. Like everybody kind of was kind of still knew that there was there was something fishy going on, but but they treated it as they treated it as legitimate in a, in a certain sense, and and it was it was certainly headlines. And Bill Bull Curry was headlines no matter where he went. Do go to newspapers.com and just do a search for Bull Curry. They go all the way back into the 30s, and every story is Bull Curry went wild. Bull Curry started a riot. Uh, Bull Curry took on the cops. <laughs> well, I so, will say this. like Right yeah. next to this, this is a great little story. There's probably a half a column. There's like two columns next to it that's talking about like the local Brazosport Women's Bowling League. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Western Seafood dropped two games to runner-up at Wine Gardens last week. But yeah, man, and there's also a little Abner cartoon. Yeah, there's also a little Abner cartoon on the left too. But do a search for Bull Curry. Do a Google image search for Bull Curry. He he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame of eyebrows because he had these gigantic, bushy, projecting eyebrows, and that he's was part amazing. of the. He's a spectacle of humanity. He's amazing. And he had he had a main event wrestling career from the 1930s to the 1970s and he still wrestled occasionally even in the early 80s in Houston so he was he was the toughest roughest guy and and your grandma yep. was is that's my mama my great grandmother used to go see him yep back in Victoria was that, that was in Victoria. That Victoria yeah yep. that's my mama that's the best best wrestling story I've ever heard in my life yeah, actually great. well see this is why you gotta listen to the podcast folks because you just never know these weird, crazy stories about our, our insane old family stories that come up, <laughs> we dig up. Um, hey, you know what? Like, uh, this has been fun. And, uh, you know, we really just want to say, again, thank you for taking time to write a note. Thank you for taking time to listen. And thank you for taking time to tell a friend. We're trying to do something really special here, and you're a part of it. So from all of us, and come and take it. We thank all of you. All right. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love history. You love Texas, you love podcasts, so help us out. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.